is the WTF Bach Podcast. The podcast about Johann Sebastian Bach, brought to you by his prodigal son, WTF Bach. Join WTF Bach as he guides your mind through a contrapuntal journey. Why don't you let WTF Bach guide you? And now, here's WTF Bach. Thank you very much. It's WTF Bach. Evan Schinner's here. In the last episode, we began just dipping our ears into Bach's second cantata cycle, started 300 years ago as of this year, 2024. And that year was special for Bach as Lutheran melodies, the melodies of his faith, were set down in print for the first time by Martin Luther himself in 1524. So we see this connection. Bach to Luther, 200 years, and now us to Bach, 300 years. Bach, in order to preserve the date, 1524, took the old melodies and used them as the structure of his 1724 cantata cycle. He takes the melodies, he stretches them out, he puts them into the voice parts as a cantus firmus, that is a slow-moving melody around all this other quick-moving music. I return again to the metaphor of traveling down a river. Here we are in a swift-moving boat, all this fluid water music flying by us, and as we row along, we see in the distance, on the horizon, these stately slowly passing islands that are the Cantus Firmus. We also saw how organized Bach is about approaching this gigantic cantata cycle that will encompass some 60 cantatas. In the first cantata, the Cantus Firmus is in the soprano, one week later it's in the alto, and one week later where we start here today, it's in the tenor, and finally once more in the bass in the next following cantata. Are you curious to know what Bach did on the fifth week? Yes, me too. That's BWV 10. And if you're interested in that, maybe that should be the next episode. Anyways, he splits the cantus firmus between the soprano and the altos. The sopranos sing the first half of the melody, the altos the second part. And then in the following week, week six, you're thinking, ah, he must split the melody between the tenors and the basses. Not quite. Now, the more that I'm talking about this, the more I think we in fact need to have one more podcast on this subject. But back to the third week where the melody is in the tenor. This is BWV 7. I'll start straight away with the text as it's by Martin Luther himself. In German, Christ unser Herr zum Jordan kam nach seines Vaters Willen. Christ our Lord came to Jordan after his father's will, in, in accordance with his father's will. Von Sankt Johannes die Taufe nahm. From St. John he took the baptism. He was baptized by St. John. Sein Werk um Amt zu erfüllen, to fulfill his work and his ministry. Da wollte er stiften uns ein Bad. With this, he wanted to prepare for us a bath, zu waschen uns von Sünden, to wash us from our sins. Er säufen auch den bitteren Tod. And also to drown bitter death. Durch seines selbst Blut und Wunde, through his own blood and wounds. Er galt ein neues Leben. This, this means new life for us. Lots of imagery here already. <laughs> Bitter death, blood, wounds, the bath of the baptism, sin, new life, full of imagery. Now, the melody itself is interesting. It appears in the 1524 book, but with a different text. So here's how the melody sounds. Actually, this is from the Wikipedia page about this melody. It's a pretty great MIDI file. This is why I wanted to include it. Mm-hmm. 
Yep, sometimes you have to love those MIDI files. I like also when the melody shifts. Ba dee da dum bum. That's interesting. We'll see how Bach sets that as the cantus firmus. And because this melody does not have the text that Bach uses, there is no word painting here. It's hard to take from that melody imagery. This melody appears in 1524 with a different text, but then in 1543, some 20 years later, Luther has another seven stanzas text on baptism, and he needs a melody for it. So he goes back to his old self in 1524, and we get this hymn through the combination of the 1543 words and the 1524 melody. Now, what I particularly like about this hymn, and what I assume Bach liked as well, is that this hymn isn't your generic let's say, God forgive me, or open your hearts and praise God subject. This text depicts a very specific moment in Christianity. So when Bach reads Luther's words, our Lord Christ came to Jordan, he recalls the gospel where Christ is baptized. So yes, buckle your seatbelts because Father Schinners is going to read the Bible here. I will read those passages to you so you can maybe try and imagine the imagery that Bach, highly literate, highly conversant in Lutheran text and obviously in the Bible, you could imagine some of the imagery that went through Bach's mind. We'll start with Mark. This is chapter one. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Next, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I loved, with you I am well pleased. Finally, the Gospel of Matthew, a little longer than the other two, chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this and fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice said from heaven, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased." That is the translation of the New International Version, for those of you, for those amateur or professional biblical scholars, I suppose. But I'm struck by this imagery, obviously, of heaven being torn open and the dove coming down. Because Bach doesn't create music at random, you know. He wants to bring this scene to life. For Bach, and for virtually every member of his society, these events are events that really happened. The heavens being torn open, the Holy Spirit descending in bodily form. So Bach wants to bring his best earthly capacities, obviously the capacity for making music, in the most modern, most vivid form he can. He really wants the congregation to hear the heavens opening in this cantata, to hear the doves. And we will hear them. We will hear the wings of the dove. We will hear the waves, the heavens, and the river in this beautiful tone painting. So here it is, the beginning of Cantata 7. Mm-hmm. 
hearing. You're hearing that Cantus Firmus melody coming in in the tenors there, but this is really the heavens opening up this big attack here. I'm going to play it in E minor, however. The heavens being torn open. And then you hear in a pair of solo violins. That's definitely the Holy Spirit. Actually, Bach writes on that part. He writes in all the parts except the concerted violin, piano, and the oboe staccato, staccato in one of them at least, while the solo violins play this wonderful Holy Spirit descending. You could see the, the wings fluttering. Let's hear the first phrase as sung by the choir. And keep in mind, I'm going back to E flat minor, the Baroque tuning. We're going to listen. We're going to listen for that melody in the tenors. Spirit. Second phrase. The melody. We are again from the beginning, as it seems. and probably a lesson in orchestration for the composers among us is the way that Bach will differentiate those two utterances of the phrase. The melody, as is often the case in these Lutheran melodies, the melody, sort of the head of the melody repeats twice. Repeat. And when Bach repeats the entire music, it won't exactly be the same way twice in this particular instance, because the second time through, Bach will double the top vocal parts in the two oboes. Now, is that tone painting? I don't exactly know. The text there is from St. John to, to take the baptism, to fulfill his work in ministry. So I don't know if you can hear any of that in the phrase or if it's just different twice for the sake of being different. So here I'll play the first time through, followed by the second time through. See if you can hear those oboes up top. See if you can hear the subtle orchestration.
yes, I know that is very difficult to hear. You might want to rewind that and test your ears, see if you can hear those oboes not in the first phrase and appearing in the second time through. We'll go on. We are now through the first part of the melody, and when the second part of the melody comes in, that's often when something very interesting happens in the tone painting. Here we go. Absolutely love that phrase. There will he prepare for us a bath. And we have the tenors singing a bit slower, but it sort of comes in a fugue. Da volt, da volt, da volt, da volt, in all the different voices. Let's hear that again. Let's hear the preparation of the bath. Okay, now we're in preparation to hear the bath. We're going to hear the washing away of the sins. Listen to this. People live for that moment. That there is to wash us away from the sins. And the continual part, for example, has only had stuff like this so far. But then all of a sudden, on the phrase to wash us, you hear the continual. You hear the, you know, quite literally the wiping away, the washing away. To set up that phrase also, there's this uh, interesting chord that sort of makes us think, well, did, did something go wrong? No, that's just the washing away of the sin. We have this, then this diminished chord, and then the phrase to wash us from our sins. Let's hear that one more time. This is what separates Bach, say, from Handel, that the text, painting, and the music, they go so hand in hand that if, to quote Schweitzer, I believe, loosely off the top of my head, if they were to fall to the ground together, they would remain intact. on. The next phrase is about drowning bitter death. Again, another wash of sound, and listen for the words bitter and tod, bitter death.
on. Next phrase is through his blood and his wounds. Listen to the pain Bach will put. the music but we want to listen to that last phrase again obviously it means new life for us here i'll start where the violin started to, to go into a place where we'd never been before because it means new life and then when you hear the tenors really stick it to them it means a new life then we'll hear the sopranos sort of celebrate with this new found virtuosity here's a new place Another new place. And the tenors. opening movement. I really think that Bach was inspired there by all of the imagery that we see in the Gospels and the original text from Luther. I think above all, I'm really taken by the, you know, the the heavens, that's probably the heavens opening up, and then this dove coming down. That was Masakai Suzuki conducting his Collegium in Japan. One of my absolute favorite ensembles. I will put the link to that recording in the episode description, but we have to go on for time's sake to the fourth cantata of the second cantata cycle, that is BWV 135, where finally the melody appears in the bass. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the WTF Bach Podcast. You can hear it now on the WTF Bach Podcast. Listen in, tune in, tune in, listen in, follow along. Like, what is this? This is WTF Bach. WTF Bach. Again, as with the previous melody, this hymn, this cantata BWV 135, the melody has a complicated history. This melody, you probably recognize it as the melody of the St. Matthew Passion and also the Christmas Oratorio, if you're equally hip to that. 
This has to be, I'd be willing to say, the most famous chorale melody in the repertoire because of the frequency with which Bach sets it and also how important are the works where he sets it. And, of course, because Paul Simon sets it. That's right. Paul Simon set this melody in the 70s in a tune called American Tune. I didn't know this until I was researching this. I'm going to just play a little bit of Paul Simon maybe one minute. See if you can understand the, the Bachian melody, the Lutheran melody that Paul Simon is sort of riffing on. See if you recognize it. Also, since it's Paul Simon, the audio might stop now for the next minute because of copyright laws, so look up American Tune, listen to it. Otherwise, fast forward for one minute and then we'll be back. Many's the time I've been mistaken And many times confused Yes, and I've often felt forsaken And certainly misused Oh, but I'm all right I'm all right I'm just weary to my bones Still, you don't expect to be bright and bon vivant so far away from home So far away from home Okay, hopefully featuring that little snippet on this podcast doesn't kill the entire podcast, otherwise Paul Simon killed the Bach podcast. You know, it reminds me, actually, I read an article where Art Garfunkel, uh, after Simon and Garfunkel, he's been doing nothing but, but reading, and the Albert Schweitzer biography of Bach made, I think, the, the top 20 favorite books of his. So it's great to know that Simon and Garfunkel are listening to Bach's music and being influenced by it. Funny that Paul Simon calls it American tune. That could possibly be the least American tune ever written, originating in the 16th century Lutheran Germany. It is this melody. that you know. Maybe you know it as O Sacred Head Surrounded. It's originally a secular love song. Very clearly a popular melody. If not for Paul Simon, then it would be for the at least seven different texts that were written to the same melody before Bach said it 124 years after its composition. There is an interesting article about this melody and all of the texts that were written to it on the fabulous Bach Cantatas website. Yes, the Bach Cantatas website. It's the ultimate blog for you. I will put a link to this article in the episode description so you can read about it, see how multiple texts were used with the same melody, see how it evolved over time. And we're going to examine here how Bach sets it in the basis. First, the text, Ach Herr, mein armen Sünder, straf nicht in deinem Zorn. Lord, Poor sinner that I am, don't punish me in your anger. Dein ersten Grimm durch Linde, sonst ist's mit mir verloren. First, make your fury soft, so that I may not be lost. Ach, Herr, wolltst mir vergeben, mein Sund und gnädig sein. Lord, if you would only first forgive me, if you would only first forgive my sin and be gracious, dass ich mag ewig leben, so that I may live forever, and flee in der Höhlenpein to escape the pains of hell, so that I could live forever and escape or flee the pains of hell. As is the case 
in the second cantata that we listened to in the previous episode, there's not as many instances of explicit tone painting in this particular opening movement, although Bach will really go in with the text textual painting on the words sin. He loves that when you write sin. He loves to commit these sort of musical sins. But I think more interesting than the tone painting itself, than Bach setting the music to reflect the text, is the way in which he breaks up this melody. This would be the melody, and it will appear in unison in the strings here, slowly, in three. And will be echoed in these beautiful oboes. So, becomes a very quick, so you have that sort of diminution there, and you will hear bits of this melody appear in slow motion, and then in fast motion, and then in slow motion. And finally, when the basses come in and sing the melody, you will hear in a sort of fugetta, a little fugue, all of the other voices. I've prepared an instrumental version here. Sounds slightly clockwork orangey, but I hope you enjoy it. I'm just going to speak over where exactly the voices come in, although it should be pretty self-explanatory. And then we will feature a performance. So you're listening for the little fragments scattered around. Here comes the choir. That was the first phrase. I won't say much more except I'll highlight when Bach writes about sin.
anticipating the sin phrase. The following is the sin phrase. Clearly a different tone from the rest of the piece. Music goes without saying. The my sin phrase. Obviously, you heard it was different. If I isolate the voices here, if I play them for you, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you're breaking every rule that your counterpoint teacher told you is a sin. Mine zund, or mine zund, excuse me. They're not parallel fifths, but they are interesting parallel triads. And then this diminished chord. I'm looking forward to seeing how that is brought to life in the performance that we will listen to now. In any case, I think I might want to tinker with that MIDI file that I just created at the end of the episode. See if I could play it a bit faster and maybe you can get a bird's eye view of how that melody creeps in and out. Speaking of this melody, while preparing this episode for my dear listeners, I stumbled across a very beautiful setting of it from the newly discovered, we could say, Neuermeister collection. These are very early Bach pieces, and Bach sets the melody sort of, um, could I say, fractally like this. So what that is, is... Very interesting. It requires two keyboards to play, and I do not have two keyboards here in the moment, but next week I will have access to a lovely organ from 1851. I will do my best, though I will not be with the best recording equipment. I will do my best to record a version of that and see if I can perform that for you in the next episode. Meanwhile, please enjoy this performance. This is the Netherlands Bach Ensemble performing this very, very slowly. I think I can't resist tampering also with this recording at the end of it, so please forgive me, Netherlands Bach. But I thank you, dear listeners, for always being interested in this very difficult music and sticking with it.
Right, right, that, that, you, you. 